everything. How many times have we seen in our lives families that were having deep trouble and God chooses to send a baby and all of a sudden into that despair comes hope and help and happiness and joy and laughter. There is something about a new life that is talking about human babies. We're not talking about, we weren't even talking about the baby like Faith was seeing. Did you hear her words? My whole life has turned around. I once was lost, but now I'm found. A baby changes everything. It was into a dark world. It was into a sinful world that the Christ child came. And he came to a world that needed him at the exact time we needed him. He brought us life from death. He brought us light from darkness. He brought us peace from chaos. He brought us hope from hopelessness. Hope from hopelessness. Now some of you are going, Brother Jerry, how are you going to get hope from our text this morning? That is the weirdest text I've ever heard a preacher read in my entire life. If you will, turn back there. Because I think it's, it's very interesting for a lot of reasons. I believe it tells us that Jesus is the Jesus, is the God of hope. Of hope. I'll remind you that when Matthew penned this gospel, he lived in a highly patriarchal society. Now, for Alan's back there. Alan, that means the men were in control, okay? Got me, all right. Women had no rights. They had no privileges, could not own property. Today we call that discrimination. But it was the law of the land back then. In fact, I don't want to jump off too deep too quickly, so let me just tell you this. A story I heard that that the Native Americans, when I was kids, we called them Indians. It was no disrespect. It was just what... Christopher Columbus had tagged them when he came over, that the Indians had said, you know, here was our culture. We went out and we killed the meat and we brought it home. Our wives skinned it, gutted it, cooked it, cleaned it. They took care of the children. They took care of the teepee. They took care of society. 
And white man came over and he thought he could improve on what we had. Okay, men, you can laugh after you get away from your wife, all right? The truth is, is that in this culture that Matthew wrote, women were never mentioned in things like genealogies. So why are there women mentioned? I stopped to point them out to you. There are five women. And I believe that even in the genealogy of Jesus, this is how expansive our Lord is, even in the genealogy of Jesus, we can find words of hope in this obscure passage. Let's just visit these ladies and let me just share with you. Go ahead, Brandon. Let me just share with you about the five ladies and the different areas of hope that it brings for us. First of all, we find in verse 3, Tamar. When I read about Tamar, I think Jesus has given us the hope for the forgotten. The hope for the forgotten. Have you ever been forgotten? Somebody ever forgotten your birthday, your anniversary? Somebody ever forgotten you somewhere? I remember as a kid, <clears throat> we had some sickness in our house, in our family, and we had to go to our where our, all of our Ken folks lived. I have one uncle whom I've told you about before who had everything to do at his house. We could ride horses. We could hunt. We could go fish. I mean, we could do everything there. I had another uncle who was a great guy, even a great guy till today. But because of where he lived, there was just nothing to do. And, and when my kin folk were in the hospital, I got dropped off at you-know-who's house. And I was there for days and had nothing to do. Felt forgotten. And when you feel forgotten, you feel like there is no hope. You feel like, you feel like nobody loves me. I mean, the, world, we, the words go on and on and on. Do you remember about Tamar? Do you remember that story? Well, I'll remind you back in Genesis chapter 37 to the end of the book, tells us about Joseph in large measure. Chapter 37 is all those things, the coat of many colors, the dreams Joseph had, even the part where the brothers sold Joseph into captivity, chapter 37. Chapter 39, it picks it back up that he got into the house of, Park, into the house of Potomar. But chapter 38 is the Peyton place of the story. It's the soap opera. Judah was the oldest one, oldest of Jacob's children. After they sold Joseph off, Judah moved to a neighboring land. And he found a wife, he married a wife, and she bore him three sons, Ur, Omar, and Shelah. The boys got of age, the oldest one, Ur, got old enough to get married. And so, as in the custom, dad went out and found him a wife. And the Bible says, not the preacher, the Bible says that Ur was evil in the eyes of God, and so God killed him. Did you hear that? That should serve as a warning for us. Well, as is the custom in that day, Judah went to Omar, and he said, Now, Omar, you need to take your sister-in-law as your, as your wife, and you need to let her have children by you, because then they will be your brother's children for things like inheritance and all. But you need to do this. Omar didn't like that. I mean, he liked the being married and the conjugal parts, but he didn't like the thought that he was going to give this woman his brother's children. 
So he didn't cooperate. Now, I'm not going to go into the gory details. You can read it in chapter 38 of Genesis. But he didn't cooperate, and so God killed him. Judah goes to Tamar, and he says, Tamar, look, my young son, Shelah, is not old enough to get married. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on your widow's robe. I want you to go back to your father's house, and I want you to mourn there until Shelah gets old enough for you to marry. And then I'll call for you. The way it was done. Well, the Bible says a long time passed. That means Shelah got old enough to be married, and Judah didn't send for Tamar. In the meanwhile, Judah lost his wife and went into mourning. And then he got through with his mourning, and he went off to a sheep fair. That's where they sheared them and sold them and all this kind of stuff. And when Tamar who now knew how old Shelah was, knew that he should have already been sent to get her. She knew that she had been forgotten. She couldn't understand why. And so when she heard that Judah was now going to this sheep's um, festival, she took off her widow's clothes and she dressed like a prostitute. And she sat where she knew he would come by. And sure enough, he saw her. She must have been a very attractive lady. And he went up to proposition her and said, what would you, what could I give you? He said, well, would you spend the night with me? She said, what would you give me? He said, I'll give you a new lamb, but, I, but the check's in the mail. I have to go back to the house and get the lamb and bring it to you. And uh, I'm, there, I'm putting some things in this, but my deal is, is that this guy's going after a prostitute. I know he is, so he may not be trusted, so... What are you going to give me for surety that I get that lamb? He says, uh, what would you like? She says, I'd like your ring, I'd like your staff, and I'd like your cord. He said, okay. So they consummated the deal. Judah went back home, got the lamb together, gave it to a servant, and told him to go back and find that temple prostitute. Now he was trying to put a good spin on it. Now he was trying to put a good spin on it. Go back and find that temple prostitute and give him that lamb. When the, when the servant went back, he couldn't find him. They said, there's no temple prostitute out here. So the servant came back and told Judah, and Judah goes, ooh, maybe I got away with one. I can give up the signet ring. I can give up my staff. I can give up my cord. Problem. A baby changes everything. Out of that one night, Tamar became pregnant. Word got back to Judah, the daddy-in-law, that she was pregnant. You know what he said? He said, I'm going to have her killed. I'm going to have her burned. Kind of like David did a couple of generations later. And they went to get her, and she said, well, look, here's the dad. Give Judah these three items and tell him, here's the dad. Oops, thou art the man. Now, how does a woman like that make it into the genealogy of Jesus? By the way, Judah's response in that culture was that she's more righteous than I. Because I had abandoned my promise to give her my young son. Now, why Judah did that, we don't know. It could be, perhaps, that he lost two sons to this woman. He thought she was a black widow. We don't know that. But we know that he didn't follow through, and we know that when he was confronted, he never touched her again. And now she had exposed him. She had been forgotten. 
You know what we can learn from that? It doesn't matter who you are or who's forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. When Jesus came, he came for the people who had been cast aside and forgotten. You think God doesn't know where you are? Listen, he knows where Tamar is. He knows where you are. Tamar. The second woman we see here is down in verse 5. It's Rahab. We call this hope for the fallen. Rahab. Now, if Tamar played the part of a prostitute one time, Rahab was a full-blown prostitute. That is how she made her living in the city of Jericho. You can find the story in Joshua chapter 2, verses two, uh, chapter 2 through about chapter 5. I'll remind you of this. This is what happened. Joshua was leading the people in to, to cross the river, take the country. He sent the spies in. Do you remember it? And the authorities got wind that the spies were there, and Rahab protected those spies. She actually hit them in her roof for a while, redirected them in, and then watch this. She let them down by a cord out of her window so nobody would see her. Now, the interesting thing to this preacher is that she let them down by the cord, and they were... They went to safety, and when Jerusalem fell, it was that cord that she hung out her window that saved her life. The same cord that saved their life saved her life. You think that says something to us? That it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, how you've fallen, that the same remedy applies for you that it does for anybody. You see... Rahab had fallen, and she couldn't get up on her own. But here's what she knew. She knew that with the Lord and his people that she could get up. You've not fallen so far that the Lord can't reach and touch you. What can we learn from her is that he cares for those of us who've fallen. And you know what the truth is? Every one of us have fallen. Every one of us have fallen. We've fallen into sin. The Bible still says all have sinned. The Bible still says there's none righteous. The Bible still says that there's a payment for sin, and we can't make that payment. See, Jesus tells us that there's hope, not only for the forgotten, but also for the fallen. And then we move to... uh, Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, we move to the hope for the faithful. I hope I got this in order. Yes, hope for the faithful. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Ruth, the faithful. Now, there's a book in the Bible that tells the story of Ruth, and you possibly have read it. If you have not read it, go back and read it. You know, I think this is one of the overlooked People that God loves, the faithful. Do you remember the story? Let me just see if I can summarize it quickly for you. Ruth's mother-in-law was Naomi, and her sister-in-law was Orpah. Now, I have to be careful how I say that, because if you change the R and the P, it's Oprah. And probably Oprah and Oprah had the same characteristics, but we'll leave that alone right now, okay? 
As you know from that story, Naomi lost her husband, so daddy-in-law was gone. Orpah and Ruth lost their husbands. And so Naomi told the two girls, said, here's what you do. You go back to your place. Orpah said, see you later. And Ruth says, actually, let me just stop to say, she made such a strong commitment to her mother-in-law that for generations, for years, the song we sang at weddings came from her words. Whether thou goest, I will go. Whether thou lodgest, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Now may I just say this to you, just to move along very quickly, is that too often we take for granted the people that are faithful all the time because they make it look easy. And yet, read the story of Ruth. There is nothing easy about being faithful. If it were easy, we'd have a whole church full of Faithful people. You see, there is hope for the faithful in Christ Jesus. Because He's blessed us from the beginning, and He'll bless us to the end. Oh, to have the faithfulness of a Ruth. But here comes the next one. Hope for the foolish. Miss Bathsheba. Just the name makes you think about being foolish. And yet, and yet, this whole, the whole story of Bathsheba started possibly through no fault of her own. All she did was go out and bathe one day. I don't, I have no indication, my historian over here may, I have no indication that she knew that King David wasn't on the battlefield where he was supposed to be. She certainly didn't know that he was sitting on the rooftop ogling her. She didn't know he didn't have enough courage to cover his eyes and protect his heart. But I tell you what she did know. She knew when he called her to the, to the castle, she knew that he was the king. She knew that she was a married woman. And she knew that what she was about to do was a sin. You know what, folks? Every one of us have made foolish decisions. Some we get away with and we don't think anybody knows. But by and large, when we make foolish decisions, they get out. Particularly in Bathsheba's case with a king. Did she really think that she was going to have an affair with a king and nobody was going to know about it? And because of that foolish decision, even today the name Bathsheba conjures up an adulteress. I really don't care to be, uh, I've heard some real unkind things said and he has problems of his own. He's not the king of kings. He's not the king of the world, but he is the king of God. I hope you're not relishing in the in Tiger Woods problems. Certainly his home is, is in trouble. Certainly he's brought it on himself. But listen, God still loves Tiger Woods. There's still hope for Tiger Woods. 
no matter how foolish she's been. I can remember 10 or 12 years ago, a young intern in the White House. If I were to call her name right now, you would know her. And when you thought of it, you would think of things that you're not, that we shouldn't think in public or in church because she made a foolish decision and now the consequences of which stay with her. And here's what I'll say. God still loves the foolish. I just want to go on record to say this. This is the part of the message and the sermon that brings me the most hope because there's nobody in this room that's made more foolish decisions than moi. I see that hand. You see, folks, Jesus came to help those of us who are foolish. But now listen, make no mistake. He doesn't want us to live a life of foolish decisions. He's come to us when we make our foolish decisions to help us get our lives straight. That's why the baby came. The baby came to change everything. There's one more woman listed here. Uh, This is the woman we all know, love, and like. But I want to say that in the life of Mary, I find hope for the fearful. And you go, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, what did she have to be fearful from? Well, when the angel came and spoke to her in Luke chapter 1, you know what you found out? You found out that she was afraid. She was troubled. She was fearful. He came with a message of don't be afraid. Wonder why, wonder why the angel said, don't be afraid. <laughs> because she was. She was afraid at the sight. And she said, and it says, uh, um, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. She says, how can I do this? I've never been intimate with a man. I have no husband. And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. One translation says she's highly favored. Some say, blessed are you among women. You know what that tells us? That tells us the the inadequacies of a translation. Because blessed are you among women is not in the Greek. But here's the thing. When the translators looked at it, those King James translators in particular, they knew that there was so much emotion there. You are not just favored. You are highly favored. And they added in there, blessed are you among women, to help us understand what the angel was saying to her. Because, you see, in the face of deity, we all get fearful. Hello? You see, in the genealogy of Jesus, we can find his teachings to teach us about finding hope. Do you have hope today? I'm not talking about hope for your finances. I'm not talking about hope for your car. I'm talking about hope for eternity. I'm talking to you about the hope that's found in Jesus. You know, this world's kind of messed up as far as I'm concerned. Old story is told that a man fell in quicksand. And he's sinking. 
Confucius comes by and he goes, Alas, man should not go into places like that. Buddha comes by and he says, Let this be a lesson to you about the plight of humanity. Muhammad comes by and says, It is the will of God. And Jesus comes by. And he says, Take my hand and let me help you out. The baby in the manger becomes the Christ of Calvary, becomes the hope of the world. Not just the hope of the world, the hope for you. And when you receive Jesus, this is what Paul tells us, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Is he in you today? If not, why not? Let today be the day that you receive him and give your life. To Him. Let's pray together. Father, we begin by thanking You for sending Your Son. Thank You for sending Him as a baby. Thank you for sending him into this world as the hope of the world. But thank you for sending him as my hope. I pray for the person today that's never invited you into their life. Oh, they've been playing a game and they've been making foolish decisions. They've been, they've fallen. They're afraid. I pray that today that you'll bring them to yourself. And if they've never invited you into their life, maybe today they do so. I pray for the person who knows you and yet their hearts have grown cold to you. They've allowed sin to infect their relationship with you. And I pray that today that you will speak to them and remind them that you love them and you want to forgive them if they'll just confess and repent and come to you. Lord, speak to our hearts and help us surrender to you. In your name, amen. Here's the invitation. If you've never invited Christ into your life, just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, I Surrender All. Brother Jason, our student minister will be over here. Brother Terry, our pastoral ministries director will be over here. I'll be in the center. People will let you out. Just make your way to whatever aisle is closest to you. Come take one of us by the hand and say, you know, I want to know this Jesus. <laughs> I've fallen. I've made foolish decisions. And I need his help. Perhaps the Lord has led you to this church to be a member. You do the same thing and come see one of us. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you and you just want to pray. The altar will be open. Would you come? Let's stand, let's sing, and you come on the first word of the song. All to Jesus I surrender.
Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Is God speaking to you? If He is, what is He speaking to you about? I can assure you there is no sin that He overlooks. There's no attitude that He puts aside that's destructive. What's He speaking to you about? Even as they're playing. They're going to play one more stanza. This is for you. Would you come as they play?